In the beginning, there was a word. The word, a word, I don't know. But that word, doing its best to stay afloat at the confluence of time and space, spinning at the hot center of the mind's eye vortex, had no choice but to go forth and multiply and beget a story. These are the first few lines of a prose poem called Story Story, which will be shared in full later in this podcast. It comes from the soundtrack of a film of the same name that explores the evolution of story as an essential aspect of human development and history. In this episode, I will share the story of Story Story, what prompted it and how it evolved. Along the way, we'll examine some threshold questions. Where do stories come from? What is their function? And most importantly, what is their power for good or ill? From the Center for the Study of Art and Community, this is Change the Story, Change the World, a chronicle of art and transformation. I'm Bill Cleveland. Part 1. Art and Upheaval. In the early spring of 2005, my wife Carla and I found ourselves unpacking in a small, well-appointed room in a 15th century Italian palazzo named Villa Cerbelloni, overlooking the blue expanses of Lake Como. We had traveled to northern Italy at the invitation of the Rockefeller Foundation to spend a month as residents of the Bellagio Retreat and Conference Center. I'd come to write and Carla to paint my book project called Art and Upheaval would tell the stories of artists working on what I was characterizing as the world's front lines, which translates literally as 11 communities across the globe facing extreme conflict and disruption. During our time there, we shared meals and good cheer with the dozen or so artists and scholars who were our fellow residents. Many mornings, Carla and I started our day across the breakfast table from a poet from Maine named Wesley McNair and his wife, Diane. Wesley's poems, which I came to admire a great deal, were powerful, intense, and often very personal. One morning, he shared a work in progress describing an abusive encounter between a New York couple and a clerk in a roadside store near Wesley's home in rural Maine. Like most of his work, it was short and unsparing. By the time he looked up from the page, though, there was no mistaking the deep sense of violation he felt when fair weather and fancy cars heralded the annual migration of a particular species of callous interloper to his beloved rural refuge. Over the next day or so, I pondered the story, particularly the blithely self-absorbed couple whose fast-accelerating BMW concluded the poem. No doubt the clerk had been mistreated, and by extension the community sullied. But I also felt an intense curiosity about what those two were talking about as they continued up the coast. Did they have any idea what they had left in their wake? Were they oblivious or sorry? Did they argue? I guess you could say I was interested in the other story revealed in that disturbing scene in the store. Who were these people, and why did they act that way? These questions led me to reflect on my work at the villa. I was spending my days exploring the lives of artists working to heal and provoke change amid appalling conflict and trauma in places like Northern Ireland, Watts, California, Milosevic ruled Serbia, and post-Khmer Rouge, Cambodia. 
My efforts to animate these harrowing and inspiring stories respectfully and compassionately had been humbling. In the process, I found myself caught up in, no, actually overwhelmed by the infinitely faceted, interconnected nature of these human narratives. I had convinced myself that my job was to make sense and meaning of all these threads, but the weave of people, places, and history I was trying to represent, the layer on layer, shifting, bubbling, boiling nature of the lives and events I was encountering was seriously fogging my lenses. I pressed on though, but in the spaces between my book and time with Bellagio colleagues, a side saga appeared. What emerged was my first attempt to acknowledge and understand the nature and power of human story-making. Indeed, the landscape I was exploring was immense. The ubiquitous, indelible presence of stories, the fragility and mutable nature of stories, the powerful connections between story and the imagination, story and belief, story and history, story and learning, story and the human struggle with power and difference, and on and on. Was I tilting at windmills? Likely so. But I had a head of steam, so I spent a day writing whatever came to mind and filed it. Working title? Story Story. Maybe it was a safety valve because the foggy skies over art and upheaval soon cleared. Now, there are hundreds of dead-end writing threads scattered across my hard drive that will never see the light of day. For some reason, though, I found myself being drawn back to Story Story to poke and prod. At some point, I started including excerpts into talks I was giving to artists and organizers working for social change. I did this because I had come to believe that the care and feeding of stories are central to all change work. If you challenge and change the dominant narrative of a place, for good or for ill, you will have taken a potent step towards community change. The shorthand version, and the name of this podcast is Change the Story, Change the World. A slightly longer version is embodied in what follows in this episode, namely, a reading of Story Story with an accompanying soundscape crafted beautifully by composer Judy Munson. But that's not all. As we indicated in the intro, what you'll be hearing is the soundtrack of the film version of Story Story based on an extraordinary suite of 30 photo collages created by artist Barry Marcus. And truth be told, one reason for sharing Story Story here is to entice you to check out both the film and the newly completed book version. Links to both can be found in the show notes accompanying this episode. Part 2. Story Story. In the beginning, there was a word, the word, a word, I don't know. But that word, doing its best to stay afloat at the confluence of time and space, spinning at the hot center of the mind's eye vortex, had no choice but to go forth and multiply and beget a story. Now. In no time at all, that story was whispered and sung and gestured and shouted until it gave birth to another story and another and another. And well, given the fruitful nature of humans and stories grew to become a family, 
a village, a whole land of story, all alive in time to the pulsing rhythm of all the story hearts and story souls beating then and now and forever in the always emerging meta-mother story of the world. Now, if you, my friend, here and now can feel that rhythm, if you can move your feet and sing and lay yourself down in the groove of that tall tale dust and music, if you can swim in the roiling woo of all that telling and listening, you're tapped into the crucible of the signifying, sanctifying, transmortifying power of stories. Yeah. If you're plugged into that, you are holding a beaded parasol in the second line of all those story births and deaths. And if you're tapped into that, well, it may just be that you're on your way to taking your place as a link in the never-ending chain of makers and tellers. And if that's true, then I think you better listen up. Where do I start? Well, I'll begin with a warning. We all know about stories, right? Stories are fun, stories frolic, stories amuse, yeah. But stories are also nimble, tricky, malevolent, and, well, you can fill in the blank. Some say if you own the story, then you've got the power, the juice. But others say stories are free and can't be owned. Then there's those who say that creating the story is literally making the future, and that stifling the story is killing the future and the past. What we do know is that every person, every family, every community is formed and shaped by their stories. And if we don't know our story, if we can't shout the story of who we are, we lose our dignity, our humanity, our souls, as in East Germany, as in Chile, as in Cambodia, as in Sharpville, Tulsa, and Wounded Knee, as in Attica, Solovetsky, Parchment, Soledad, as in Tolsan, and Dachau. These particular stories teach us that tyranny is story subjugation driven by fear. Here's how it works. One, just keep them from telling the story. Two, ignore the story. Three, control the story by altering it or editing it. Four, romanticize the story. Five, simplify the story. Six, trivialize the story. Seven, twist the story with a lie. Eight, buy then smother the story. Nine, steal then lose the story. Ten, yeah, if all else fails, just kill the sucker. But we all know stories do not die. After the smoke settles, those fugitive seas, those Neruda, Malcolm, Biko, Spores, murdered, buried, forgotten, Gotten until they wake, yeah, the rain and the sun tug on the memory's twitchy trigger and they rouse. Yeah, those seeds remember once again to sprout and flower, growing with a vengeance that will not abate. Just like the kudzu vines in 
black barricades that crowd our lanes and clog our fences. And of course, you all know the story about neighbors and fences, right? Good fences make good neighbors. And, well, I don't know. Is that true? Actually, Mr. Frost didn't seem to think so. Neither did Mr. Aesop. Both knew that a good story could set powerful, unpredictable things in motion, like an altered chromosome or a floating spill of a new idea caught in the hot updraft of the Santa Ana winds. And as those incipient stories swoop and swirl, some fall, some collide, and a few, just a few, join together at the hip, at the shoulder, at the third eye intersection of self-interest and common ground, and those tall tale partners become democracy zygotes. Democracy. Yes, it's true. Democracy is the art of collective story-making. Democracy says, look, here's the story to this point. Let's decide together what's next and make it real, together. Now this making thing that it seems we've always done that we call art, well, these are the tools we use to nudge our stories out into the world. But it's important to remember, the artist's hand made that bison on the wall that became the words that begat the first story that gave birth to the first explanation, the first joke, the first rumor, the first vexing, no easy answer question. And hey, by the way, if you got a question, a, a mystery messing with you, you've got to use that story hand to help you paste it fast to the rest of your world window. Do it quick, because, you know, unanswered questions don't sit well with us humans. If you don't, that fugitive cipher, ignored and out of context, <laughs> it will suffocate you in its shadow. I know, I know, you're thinking that sounds kind of melodramatic, but you just can't ignore the trickster spin because disrespected stories are nascent shadows. You can't close your eyes to them because the shadow grows with neglect. Out of sight and out of mind, they just bubble and ferment and mark my word. Those untold stories, those unpeeled stories, those stifled stories left to fester are very, very dangerous. Bottom line, if you hold your ears, if you only pay attention to your own stories, it's hard to listen. It's hard to hear the rest of the stories hovering all around. And you need that. We need that to survive together. That's because Everything out there is translated for us, by us, through the story. For good or for ill, everything we see, hear, touch, taste, feel is just pregnant with stories, ready to give birth to another and another, helping us make sense and meaning in this confounding jumble of a world. Sense and meaning. Well. That's just story breath and story fire feeding the future in the mind's eye furnace of imagining what's next. Imagining, you know, that imagination thing, it's just a muscle up in there working overtime. 
generating more power than it consumes as it chugs along, raising the temperature in the hothouse of stories. Talk about power, man. Change the story, <laughs> change the world. But, you know, it goes both ways. That privilege thing, privilege is imagining your story is the story. And then, if you're rich, you can buy all the stories you think you need, regardless of where they come from. Not only is this corrupt, it's, well, it's undignified. Dignity is no small thing. Dignity is the unfettered imagination, the untethered voice, the unleashed story. And wealth be damned. If your story holds great meaning, you can touch a million hearts or just a precious one. Empathy happens when I tell you my story and you tell my story back to me and I nod my head. The art? Well, art holds the story, but only just for a little while. The artist says, this is how the story goes at this time and this place. Sometimes the story sticks around. Sometimes it mutates or migrates. Sometimes it escapes. And you know, improvisation is just fishing for those fugitive stories. New stories get born when improvisation and imagination converge, bending time and space wide enough for story firms and story A's just to find each other and join. But of course, there are no new stories, and all stories are new. Some people say, have a seat while I tell my story. Some say, have a seat while I tell someone else's story. Some folks say, have a seat while I tell your story. And some say, stand up, we have a story to tell. I say, once upon a time. Thank you for tuning in, for being here. Please join us for our next episode. Change the Story, Change the World is a production of the Center for the Study of Art and Community. It's written and directed by Bill Cleveland. Our theme and soundscape are by Judy Munson. 
And please, if you've been provoked or inspired, join the continuing conversation and check out our show notes at the Center's website at www.artandcommunity.com. And please know that subscribing to Change the Story, Change the World is a great, no-cost way of supporting our work.